Hello and welcome to the Rough Draft Podcast, Season 9, Episode 3, the only student-run literary, cultural, and filmographical podcast here at York College of Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Ben, and this week we're taking a break from the norm, and we're sitting down with our two candidates for Student Senate President, as well as a very special live interview with York College's writer-in-residence, poet Major Jackson. Our first guest today is Student Senate Presidential Candidate Sophie Barnes. Sophie, thanks for coming on. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So what kinds of uh, positions have you held in Student Senate before and what were your responsibilities? So I got involved with Student Senate as early as I could. I was involved in high school too. My senior year of high school, I was the president of our student council. Um, So I knew it was something I wanted to get involved in. My freshman year orientation leader was Haley Althoff and she was the vice president of organizational development at the time. And she strongly encouraged me to apply if I was interested and I was interested. So I applied and I became a general senator Um, Later that semester, I applied to be the secretary pro temp, which is like the assistant secretary. I got to do some of the secretary jobs. And then the following year, or the end of my freshman year, I was appointed the secretary. So my sophomore year, I was the secretary, and that included taking attendance at meetings, taking minutes. I ran the promotion committee, put together all the promotional materials. Um, Anything that was handed out from student senate, that was stuff that I ordered and planned. And then the end of my sophomore year, I knew I wanted to apply for an internship. So I stepped back from Senate, not knowing what an internship was going to require of me. And then my the end of my first semester of my junior year, I realized what I was going to be doing and I knew that I could handle it. And I missed it. Like I missed having a hand um, in what goes on with the students and having an impact like that. And I missed the people too. So I applied the end of my junior year and now I'm a general junior senator and now I'm applying to be president, hopefully, for my senior year. So what kind of changes, if any, uh, did you enact that students might be familiar with? Right. So my sophomore year, as I said, I was the secretary. um, And we, as the new board that year, really wanted to make Senate more approachable. So we did a number of things to do that. We hosted events just for fun. We handed out, you know, tater tots in the student union just because, handed out hot chocolate. Um, And we also started handing out food at meetings to make it more approachable, and we changed the dress code because we didn't want people coming and seeing, like, oh, these senators are so uppity sitting above us and blazers and all that. So we kind of tried to step back on that. And then I also wanted to work toward the goal of getting um, local high school student governments to come and sit in on our meetings, and that kind of got cut short with COVID. But... Um, it's something I, I would like to try and make happen again, but I wanted to have local student governments come and sit in so that they could see what the difference is between high school and college. That was kind of my hesitant, like my hesitation to join because I didn't know what to expect. So if we can get students who know they want to be involved later on, if we can get them in the door soon and let them see what they can expect, um, I think that could be a good program. And then kind of my baby over the past year and a half has been the program Amp Flow. So, This is a program that I learned about my sophomore year, and it's a female-owned company out of Ohio that provides free feminine products in the women's restrooms. And I just thought this was such a cool program. Like, we need something like that on our campus. And so I started researching them while I was still a senator, and then I left Senate and I stuck with it. Um, And I worked with YCP's facilities team and um, the treasurer of Student Senate. And I worked with Sarah Goodwin, our advisor, and I worked directly with the company, and there's a lot of back and forth, but we got the approval just a couple weeks ago to move forward with the program. So ladies, just so 
you can kind of look forward to it. It should be launching in the fall of 2020, 2021, and it will be in the Grumbacher main women's restroom, the main library women's restroom, and then the main like second level restroom in the student union. Um, and there's free pads and tampons for the, women's in, for the women in those restrooms. So that's a program that I'm really excited to launch. Um, I'm excited that I was you know, in it from the ground up and I can't wait to see it happen and to market it and I hope it's successful. And if it is, we can you know, spread to other bathrooms and other restrooms. My goal long-term is to see it happen you know, in dorms and everywhere. So yeah, that's something that I'm really excited to see happen next year i'm glad to have been from been with it from the very beginning yeah that's that's actually a really thoughtful program that you came up with um so what are some of your plans for the future of student senate and more importantly student life as a whole if you're elected president right so like i said um my, one of my biggest goals is to successfully launch market and then sustain the amp flow program another one is i want to make a stronger connection with the sports there's always kind of been a disconnect between student senate and the athletes and i don't know if that's because of meeting times, because we have switched our meeting times around, um, or if there's something that we're missing, but I think that starts with a conversation with them and a survey and seeing what we can do to better serve them because they are a huge aspect to our campus and they're a huge draw to the admissions office. And you know we have this huge Grumbacher Center that's entirely for them, but if we're not serving them, we're not doing the best job that we can as a student senate. So, and I don't know if that's an ad hoc committee to work with them, which is like a temporary set, temporarily set up committee to work with them. I'm not sure, but I think the first step is just talking with them. And then another thing I wanna do is I wanna start an interview closet through ISLGP. So they already have the food pantry, which is very well run program. Um, I think a lot of students know about it, but I'd like to start an interview closet where students can donate um, professional clothes, business clothes. And then when students have interviews for internships or, you know, big kid jobs after graduation, they can stop in ISLGP and borrow clothing rather than having to go out and buy clothes for a you know 10 minute interview. Um, I think that's something that could really impact a lot of students on our campus. And then I would like to see CAD eBoard, the Campus Activities eBoard and the Student Senate eBoard work more closely. A lot of what we do overlaps anyway. So I think if we can be more so on the same page with things, I think, um, that would make a big difference. And then lastly, I just want to be more involved in students' journeys through um, YCP. A lot of students graduate having never gone to a Senate meeting, and I think that should change, and I think that starts with just being involved with them. Like I talked about, we gave out the tots and hot chocolate just because, but I think, you know, emailing students and congratulating them for making Dean's List or just reaching out and introducing the eboard to the students I think could go a long way if students feel like they're more prioritized rather than just, you know, being on the back burner and getting notified when something big happens, I think they can be getting more frequent updates too from student senate to stay more connected. Uh, yeah, I, I remember a couple of years ago, there was like an outside service that kind of did the interview closet and came right. in for like a week. But, you know, like you said, there's not like a full-time right. uh, place for that to be available on campus. Yeah. So what makes you different? Like why should someone vote for you specifically for president? So I love YCP and I know that everyone says that, but I, was literally, I was born across the street at York Hospital. I've lived in York my entire life. And when my parents first suggested that I go to York, I cried because I had always pictured myself going somewhere far. Um, and I'm talking like, I was looking at Ivy Leagues. Like I thought that I was gonna go somewhere huge. 
And then I toured York and I fell in love with it. And there was no reason for me not to fall in love with it. So I want everyone to love York as much as I do. And I know that sounds cheesy. And I know that we've talked a lot about returning to normal. You know, we're getting back to normal, but I don't think we should return to normal. I think we should return to a bigger and better York than we've ever been. Everyone's been through trauma the past year. And if you haven't, you're probably lying in some way. So I think we all need to learn from what we went through. Um, and we need to acknowledge what each other went through. And we can move back to not a normal YCP, but the best YCP we've ever been. Um, and I am a hard worker. I'm driven. I'm incredibly motivated. If I don't think something is worth, if I don't think I can do something perfectly, I don't think it's worth doing. So I wouldn't be working toward this position if I didn't think I could do it to the best of my ability. And so that's why I think I deserve the vote is because I really truly feel like I'm the best person for the job. I love York and I just want everyone else to feel that same way. I was, I was hoping you would say that because at least from the people that I know, I don't think there's anyone who loves more, who loves York <laughs> more than you do. All right. And what is one last message that you would like to share with our audience before we wrap up? If I have one last message, um, just be a nice person. Everyone is going through a lot um, and, and I know we're coming out of it and it feels like there's a light. Um, but people are still going through a lot of really hard stuff. Um, and I think if everyone simply took the time to think about the person sitting in the desk next to them or in the drive through in front of them or on the treadmill next to them, if you put yourself in that person's shoes for, you know, 10 seconds a day, I think we could have a much nicer campus. We're coming out of a time of political turmoil, of masks or no masks, of I'm right and the person next to me is wrong. And I think if all of us at YCP put that aside and just remembered that we're all at YCP because we love it, um, and if nothing else unites us other than being Spartans, then just remember that we're united being Spartans. So even if you don't vote for me, which I highly encourage you to do, I do encourage you to just be nice to the person next to you and remember that we're all coming out of a really hard year, but I think that's what makes York better and that's what will make us better in the future. I think that's a really good note to finish up on that a lot of people can agree with. Thanks for coming on and talking to us. Thank you so much for having me. All right, our next guest is Spencer Smith. Hi, Spencer. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. So what kinds of positions have you held in Student Senate in the past, and what were some of your responsibilities? So um, I've served on Student Senate for a number of years. And um, firstly, I served as the Sustainability Committee Chairman. Um, and then later I stepped up and became the vice president, which I currently am both right now. Um, as sustainability chairman, I helped to start, start the committee. Um, it was brand new when I became chairman. And I also um, sat on the newly formed president's task force on campus sustainability as the, as the committee representer. So, um, and then as vice president, I picked up where the previous vice president had left off. Um, specifically, I enacted some new requirements that aim to help senators put their mental health first as a way to stay on track during the uncertain times of the COVID-19 pandemic. What kinds of changes um, have you helped to enact that you know, the general population of York College might be familiar with? So while serving as chairman, um, the committee was involved in many different on-campus events. Listeners will remember the reusable bags given out in the fall. Um, those were filled with snacks and tips for wellness on campus. That was sustainability committees doing. 
We also inaugurated the annual Speaking Green event um, that aimed to give a forum to students to talk about personal sustainability topics and have a wide audience to do so. Um, and then I'm also excited to say that that will be returning this year and we hope to keep it going for years to come. Um, aside from Senate, I, I work to pivot the mission of the Student Alumni Ambassadors to the Student Alumni Council to meet the needs of not only alumni, but also current students. So um, that, and I'm, I serve as the president of that right now. All right, yeah, the, um, the reusable bags, uh, I remember that I still use mine for groceries every week. Uh, so I'm happy what, to hear that. What are some of your plans for the future of students and, it, and more importantly, student life as a whole, if you're elected president? So one thing that I feel is the most important role of student senate is to um, increase student involvement. You know, like that's why we're here. Um, so one thing that I hope to do is that I can help make senate make it easier for students to get involved, clubs to interact more, and for the campus community to further unify. Um, specifically, I feel very strongly about sustainability, and so I want to see that campus that the campus makes more of those changes now why should someone vote for you for president like what sets you apart from other people well first off i feel that i'm i'm the most experienced and driven um i've been involved in a lot of things on campus um and i've proven that i can handle the rigor of similar positions now i haven't been president of student senate before but i've been vice president a chairman, and I've also been heavily involved in other clubs and organizations on campus. And through those involvements, I've proven that I can work through problems constructively. Think um, the York Unified Initiative program, with the one with the bags that we did in the fall, and um, the Speaking Green event. And um, we also have a lot of things in the pipeline that we hope to finish by the end of the spring that you know come in a similar vein. And since I started on Senate, one thing that I've always run um, with, I've always ran with the mentality to hear students' ideas and have those lead my action rather than have my own feelings lead my action. Because at the end of the day, you elect a senator so that they can help enact change that the student body wants on campus. Um, I'm, not getting a, I'm not getting elected to do whatever I want. And I've always run with those ideals, even back when I was a freshman starting out. All right. And what's one last message that you would like to share with our audience? Not to get too sappy, but I just, I really want to thank everyone out there who's supported me in the past or continues to support me, um, not just for student Senate president, but in all aspects of my life. Um, this, these past few weeks have been truly humbling. And I'm very, very grateful for all the kind words and support that I've received and received. Um, I'm a, I want to say I'm a product of the hard work of others just as much as I am my own efforts. And I want to highlight that in my campaign, especially. All right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I think uh, our listeners are still going to have a pretty uh, tough decision to make in a couple of weeks, but hopefully listening to you and Sophie both talk, um, going to help them make that decision a little bit easier. Thanks for coming on and talking to us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Um, and again, my name is Spencer Smith, and I hope you vote for me for Student Senate President. All right.
Up next is our first ever interview with a live audience. We hope you guys enjoyed listening to our two student Senate presidential candidates. And we hope you'll also enjoy listening to Major Jackson share with us some of his work and inspiration, as well as the direction that he thinks the field of poetry is headed. I want to thank you for sharing uh, your work with us. It was, uh, it was really moving to hear a lot of what you had to say. So this is our first ever live recorded episode of the Rough Draft podcast. It's a huge step for us, and we also want to thank you for being a part of that. Uh, so what was the decision-making process as far as deciding what you wanted to share with us today? You know, I, I pay attention increasingly to what I say uh, publicly and what's happening around us. Clearly, we are in a global pandemic. Uh, clearly, we, as Vito said, we need art to understand the moment that we're living in. Uh, probably if I were, if this was two years ago or even just before March a year ago, I would have been in Vermont, it would have been snowing and I probably would have read more kind of seasonal uh, poems. But um, I, I, I would like for my words to kind of echo with what we are grappling with at this present moment. You are a part of the Darkroom Collective of Poets. Could you briefly tell the audience what the Darkroom Collective is and what it tries to achieve? Sure. Uh, the Darkroom Collective, inspired by uh, the writings of James Baldwin and uh, Toni Morrison and Alice Walker and Derek Walcott, which is to say um, writings by uh, Black folks here in America, but also uh, throughout the African diaspora, uh, Chenua Achebe. Uh, this was a group of young Black students in Boston, Cambridge, in the late 80s, early 90s, who gathered uh, to turn their apartment into a reading series after attending James Baldwin's funeral in New York City. Many of the folks who joined up with the Darkroom Collective uh, would, were themselves aspiring writers. I happened to join the Darkroom Collective in the early 90s, and by that time, uh, many of its uh, members had gone on to graduate schools uh, and launched their own uh, writing careers. Uh, Thomas Arizelis and Sharon Strange and Kevin Young and Natasha Trethway, uh, Tracy K. Smith. Um, these were, I should say, these are prominent American poets and writers, John Keane, uh, Janice Lowe, Archeris Bethany White, uh, many of them have published uh, multiple books. Uh, two of them have won the Pulitzer Prize in poetry. Uh, uh, a number of them are teachers or professors at American universities throughout the country. And it was uh, a dynamic group at a young age for me to become associated with, uh, chiefly because they encouraged me as we encouraged each other to pursue our aspirations to be uh, writers, uh, but also to be writers of substance, I, I should say. 
Um, uh, the other aspect of the Dark Room Collective is we often want to acknowledge the writers who have come before us and who have influenced us. Some of those writers were uh, teachers of ours, people like Sonia Sanchez at Temple University who taught me, um, uh, the great Irish poet Seamus Heaney who taught uh, Kevin Young and uh, Tracy K. Smith. So this is part of a long vision of what writing means uh, in this country. Would you say that being part of the Darkroom Collective uh, helped shape your writing or help you expand on your original uh, ideas about poetry? Uh, no doubt. I mean, if nothing else, you know, what Thomas Arizelis was doing on the page in terms of listening to uh, the music and how important the music, its percussiveness, uh, its, its lyricism, how culturally rich the music is, definitely influenced me. But also I'm thinking about Kevin Young's project of documenting artists like um, Jean-Michel Basquiat, uh, Natasha Trethway's project of, of giving light to um, the marginalized and particularly histories that have been erased but have been so central to um, the founding of our country. I'm thinking of her book, Native Guard. So yeah, um, we influence each other uh, both at the level of, of the poem, poem by poem, but also just thinking about a life, like how do you, how do you exist as a writer in this country? What are the kinds of projects? What, what should you aspire to? But also in my mind, um, uh, what does a life look like on a day-to-day -day level? What kinds of support uh, can, can one garner around one's life, but also how do we help each other out? You know, what does that look like as well? So community is at the core, I would say, of the Darkroom Collective. Some people might say that po poetic writing is not important or offers no meaning to society. How would you combat these preconceived ideas? It's an impoverished idea to think that poetry or art or music does not have a role in the formation of our identities, of our uh, communities, our neighborhoods. Uh, poetry is more than just a singular act of someone finding words to give representation to uh, their life, their life. Um, poetry helped shape the future uh, long before there was, for example, a female vice president of color, someone had to write that into existence. Someone had to uh, contemplate what does it mean for women to take center stage in the politics of this country. Um, so it's a, it's, it's a slow process, but poetry is about bearing witness to the present, but also uh, to the future. So it's not, you know, there is this, I think it was the poet W.H. Auden who said, uh, poetry makes nothing happen. Can poetry stop uh, 
wars in poetry uh, um, solve the question of, of hunger in this country. It may not be a one-to-one -one correspondence, but it can definitely address those issues in contemplative uh, ways that is digestible for us on a day-to-day -day, uh, level. Someone who's suffering from, who's, who's going hungry as we speak right now, poetry is where you turn to, to understand the difficulty of that, like all the literary arts. So we'll switch gears for a little bit here. Uh, some people say that uh, your poetry has a message in support of Black Lives Matter. How do you think that this thing that we call poetry can be used to help a movement or make change in society? Yeah, as long as art does not uh, devolve into mere slogans, but substantively address uh, issues. Um, many of the poets who I know who are African-American or Black or from the African diaspora or the Caribbean have long, long, long written about the difficulties of, for example, uh, police violence or over-policing in their communities, uh, uh, who have written about uh, 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 the tragic killings of African-Americans, unarmed African-Americans. So to some extent, this is the ongoing necessary work of protest and resistance, uh, something that I inherit as an African-American poet. But I want to say, and I've written about this in an essay called um, at the American Poetry Review, uh, called a mystifying silence. I think if you are an American who believes in the values, the founding values of this country, and you have a platform as an artist or a writer, and maybe you're not the most political artist or writer, just the fact that we are not living up to our ideals should be inspiration for your music inspiration for your canvas, your sculpture, your poem, your essay, your work of fiction. This is prime material uh, because it, it announces a vision that is greater than the self. And so, yes, you will hear a poem later, or maybe you've heard one already, um, that wants to help, um, help us see what it what it means to kind of live these values rather than um, to stand at the precipice of inaction and think that uh, well those people in the streets they, they got it we'll we'll be a better better nation as a result of that each of us has a responsibility to uphold the ideals of a democracy. And our final question, we recently were able to see Amanda Gorman read poetry at the presidential inauguration and the Super Bowl. Do you think there is hope to see a more diverse range of poets in the world and that we will see poetry appearing more in day-to-day -day life? Well, I think they're already there. Uh, we just have to make sure that the publications, the reading series, 
present the plurality that makes up um, our community. Um, yeah, there's a number of poets of diverse backgrounds who are doing extraordinary work both on the page uh, and representing the art at its highest incarnation. And I'm just so excited for us as a nation. I think Amanda, uh, Amanda is, is just, I spoke about her earlier. She's just an ex extraordinary uh, tip of the mountain of extraordinary poets who have been writing for decades and some who just started writing yesterday who kind of combat uh, the fictions by which that render us blind to each other um, and, and the fictions that imprison us about each other. Here's this young Afro-American woman from Los Angeles talking to us in poetic language about how we can heal ourselves. What a great start to a presidency, right? Really wonderful. All right, we'd like to thank you again for being part of uh, this first live episode of the podcast. If people want to check out some more of your work, where can they find you? Uh, Majorjackson.com, or you can find me at uh, Vanderbilt University. Um, you can contact uh, W.W. Norton or um, just uh, look me up, send me a note. I'd be happy to correspond. All right, and we'll link all of that in the description of this episode. Thank you again for coming on and talking to us. And thank you to our audience as well for being part of this. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, John.